Welcome everyone to the Chillin' Killin' Podcast! Travis is Terminator here. We don't have uh, Anthony versus Evil Dead. We don't have Evil Ed. No Jigsaw Jimmy. No Ellie. Just good old Travis. And I have a friend with me here. We're going to discuss a film that uh, that uh, we love and that we consider to be a masterpiece. But before we get to that conversation, it's going to be a long one. For those learning, this is a Patreon exclusive of the Chillin' Killin' Podcast. You can follow us on patreon.com slash chillandkillingpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at chillandkillingp1. Follow us on Instagram at chillandkillingpodcast. You can find us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, but not Anchor. Please don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Talk about us. Tell your friends. Tell your mother. Tell your parents. Tell everyone about the Chill and Killing Podcast. Be sure to tune into our next episode as we'll be discussing... The Megan Fox cult classic made in 2009, and that is Jennifer's Body. But enough about that. Huh. Now that that's out of the way, I am here with my good friend. Uh, we're just going to call him Monoxide. And we're going to discuss one of our favorite films ever, and that is uh, the 1994 Brandon Lee classic, The Crow. Unfortunately, this is his final starring role. But first, as my friend, he's here. Monoxide, welcome to the Chill Killing Podcast. Um, hi. Hi, everybody. I never thought I'd be known by that name ever again. Seeing as YouTube is kind of like a dead issue for us uh, wrestling bloggers from back to the day. It is. It's it's sad because YouTube used to be like the top platform for like discussions way before there was a Twitter. Well, now we have Twitter. We have everything else. YouTube just gone through so many changes for the worst, in my opinion. But I see, you know, I was going to give you some horror name, but I'm just going to go with Monoxide. Glad to have you oh. on, buddy. Uh, thank you. Yeah, you don't need to give me a horror name. Just, just my mere presence alone, it's going to be uh, horror for the audience at home. They're not going to want to hear my voice, so. <laughs> Reminder fans, this is a Patreon exclusive. We tend to do more uh, Patreon content here for you uh, fans that pay. Uh, this is, uh, I guess, a test run here. We're going to see how this one goes. If people like it, we'll do more of these. We'll, we still have, you know, plenty of ideas we like to do, but. This was a request that you wanted to do, um, and here we are. We're going to discuss it. Uh, the Crow. Uh, t- uh, how did you discover the Crow Monoxide? Oh, okay, so really the Crow, uh, how do I explain? It's kind of a long story because when I was a young kid, I remember my mother telling me the story about Brandon Lee and how he was uh, killed I forgot exactly how the topic of Brandon Lee came up, but she basically said that he was filming a movie and was accidentally killed, which I guess we'll get to when we uh, discuss the behind the scenes of the movie. So I knew that Brandon Lee had died from making a movie. Then I would say right around the time that Dark Knight came out, there was always these comparisons of the Dark Knight Joker, Heath Ledger, with Brandon Lee's Crow, and I remember seeing some sort of video where it kind of showed clips of uh, the Joker and the uh, Brandon Lee Crow, and I was just like, hmm, kind of similar to a pro wrestler that we know of by the name of Steve Borden, a.k.a. Sting. kind of knew that he kind of took elements from the Crow itself for his character, and I actually watched this movie on YouTube, and this was right around... 2010-ish. So I was a late bloomer when seeing this movie. I saw it in 2010, and I think watching it, it was something euphoric, 
I mean, I guess we'll get to how I felt about the movie when we actually get to that part. But that's basically how I came to wanting to watch it. Yeah, I remember my parents, well, my father had it on TV, and I saw it when it was, this was a long time when I was little. And I, I mean, I mean, it didn't impact me because it, it's a dark film. It is a, a very dark film. It was not intended for kids, obviously. That's why I guess I never really cared for it when I was younger. I didn't see it beginning to end. I saw, like, clips of it. But I would say recently over, I saw it again uh, last year. And that's when I really fell in love with it. I mean, I saw it, I saw it a couple years ago. I was like, eh, it's whatever. But I, again, it's one of those movies you really got to like sit down and watch it. Yeah. And I remember trying to show this to my parents because my parents had not watched it. And it was right around the time I had seen it for the first time, around 2010. And so I told them, watch this movie. It's really, really good. And they got about halfway and they never finished it because my sister at the time would have been about 10 years old and she was never the type to just like stay in her room or watch TV. She always had to barge into my parents' room and, and be like, mommy, 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 look at this, look at this, look at this. And they were not um, very prone to wanting their kids to see uh, real graphic imagery. And in my opinion, I mean, the film is, it's deserving of its rating, the rated R rating. But I don't think it's anywhere close to as graphic as other movies I've seen. But they were just like, no, we can't, we can't, we can't allow her to see these types of imagery. And then obviously she got older and they still have not gotten around to seeing it. So, yeah, it's like I mentioned, it's a dark film. It tackles a lot of dark issues. But for those that are wondering what The Crow is, but I'll just tell the basic summary of it. Uh, the Crow is about a rock musician who uh, who gets killed. By a bunch of gang, by a bunch of gang members, a bunch of thugs, and then a year later he's revived back from the grave by a crow. Uh, him and his fiance were murdered by by the gang, and basically he comes back from the dead a year later to uh, avenge his death and his fiance. And that's that's really the basic story of of the crow. Again, the idea has been done before: dead guy coming back to life, getting revenge. But here, it it's it's unique. Well, it's unique because. The guy who wrote The Crow itself, not the movie, the comic book, because it started out as a comic book, James O. Barr. Um, if I'm correct, he wrote this after his girlfriend at the time was killed by a drunk driver. So he made, he inspired this whole entire story arc based off of the death of his girlfriend, which kind of makes sense. Because, I mean, dealing with a lost loved one uh, is a very, excuse me, dark issue. And they, he tried to tackle this dark issue in a way where it involved a lot of uh, film noir, a lot of uh, gritty, grungy imagery, which was fitting for the time because this is what, 94? So this was uh, at the height of the grunge era with Nirvana, I, Alice in Chains, um, Soundgarden. Yes, oh, yeah, all those guys. Yeah. Temple Pilots, etc. So it was definitely fitting for the time. Yeah, he it's 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 a very sad how you know you lost your I believe it was his fiance at the time to a drunk driver. It, it it says on the Wikipedia it was a girlfriend, so I don't think they were engaged at that point. But it, it was, a, was long, a long one. Yeah, and in a way, I know they mentioned how like him writing this this uh this novel this story was like his was his therapy. Like you know, people you know have many have many ways you know. To take their therapy his way was writing 
and well, yeah, everybody has their own type of therapy when it comes to losing a loved one. Like, um, not to delve too much in my personal life, but my mother passed away about a year and change. And some of my ways of dealing with the therapy is dark humor. It's not everybody's typical way of therapy, mm-hmm. but like, like I'll, I'll spread jokes such as, um, like I was doing uh, streaming with uh, Stu, who uh, streams a lot of games, and we were playing Mario Kart, and it was right around Mother's Day weekend, and I just happened to make an off-the-cuff dark humor joke saying that, well, in my current situation, am I allowed to celebrate Mother's Day? And Stu, I guess, knowing, but didn't want anybody else to think that he knew, I guess, it was like, of course you can. What, what, what are you talking about? And I guess in James Elbar's case, he, he wrote a uh, comic book, which I happened to have read. You read it? Yep. Yes. Um, there's only little small differences. For example, some of the characters a little bit flip-flop, like of who's the actual ringleader of the whole thing, as well as who um, was killed in what order. Mm-hmm. And I guess the main difference, this is the biggest difference of them all, is in the comic book the crow actually speaks in the movie he doesn't um which i think was probably the best suited uh role for the crow in the movie because if the crow bird would have spoke it probably would have came off super fucking cheesy i'm not i'm not sure if i'm allowed to swear on here but it would have oh, came off cheesy. We, we swear all the time <laughs> okay perfect uh, but yeah, it, it would have came off so hokey. It would have came off so like, what is this? I think the crow not speaking offered a better symbolism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the film of the crow was written by John Shirley and notably David J. Scal. David J. Scal was mostly a Star Trek writer. He, I know he wrote Star Trek, um, which I know he wrote the next one of the next generation Star Trek movies. Can't remember the name of it. Uh, yeah, he, he wrote a lot of Star Trek. He wrote a few other films. I know at one point he was writing ideas for a Freddy vs. Jason movie, but his ideas never uh, didn't go through. But um, it was directed by Alex uh, P R O Y A S Proyas. However, you pronounce that last name. This was his very first film. Uh, he's directed projects prior to this. He directed a lot of music videos, which explains a lot of some of the the music scenes in this movie he does he does definitely does have that the right background for it um he's directed other films he directed uh, i robot with uh, will smith he directed uh dark city in the 90s with Kiefer sutherland which i have not seen uh, but that's a movie i would like to see eventually uh most recently he directed uh gods of egypt with uh gerald butler gerald butler or <laughs> damn name i'm sorry if i mispronounced <laughs> names but that's, uh, that's who the director is, and the star is uh, Brandon Lee. Uh, in his final uh, film appearance, I, I guess we might as well get into uh, his death. So, okay. Keep in mind what I'm about to say is off the top of the head. I'm not really on his Wikipedia. Well, I am on his Wikipedia, but I don't want to be like the Wikipedia source here. Uh, I just wanted to get his actual date of death, which was March 31st, 1993. So, if you couldn't tell already, Brandon Lee was the son of Bruce Lee, famous martial arts uh, film uh, star who was famous for the film in Enter the Dragon. Yes. Um, so basically, here was the gist of it. There was a scene where he was supposed to 
uh, be shot with these fake bullets. And if I remember correctly, somebody can completely correct me if I'm wrong. What it was was they took the powder that was inside the bullets out of them so that when the bullets hit you, it's just like you, you just feel like a ping. Well, apparently one bullet just happened to pass through with the powder still inside and was able to lethally kill Brandon Lee while filming. And there's been a bunch of conspiracies brought to light whether Brandon Lee was murdered same, in the same thing as Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee died from a headache pill, uh, an aspirin, um, that he was theoretically allergic to. And this really set the film back because, let's see, it was March 31st, 1993. The film itself was not released until literally a full year later, May 13th, 1994. Um, and I don't know if you want to get into this now, but because of his death, it cut out a whole character in the entire film. Yeah, originally they were going to stop filming uh, as a whole, but it was they got the blessing of uh, Brandon Lee's fiance and his mother because they both said like Brandon Lee was super passionate about this project. And you could tell if you watch some of the behind the scenes footage and the photos like Brandon Lee looked like he was super happy to be working on this project. Uh, you could tell from the cast and the director everyone liked him and it's it's very unfortunate because we were Brandon Lee was robbed of a career. Yes, he could have been uh, an action star that was not of how you would say suffering of kind of like the Jason Stathams where they play the same exact character in every movie, every action movie. I mm -hmm. think he would have fell into the same line as uh, Liam Neeson where, yeah, they're action stars, but they kind of are flexible with how they are because if you if you've seen Liam Neeson's uh, body line of work, I mean, the guy was in um, Schindler's List. The guy was in Star Wars Episode One as a Jedi. The dude was Ra's al Ghul in Batman Begins. The guy was a cop in Taken. This guy can do it all. And I think uh, Brandon Lee, at some point, could have played a villain in a big-budget film. He could have been one of those guys in The Expendables, where they just get a bunch of action stars and put them in this big movie. So, it's unfortunate because other than The Crow, he, what, what else was he in? Rapid Fire, Showdown in Little Tokyo, Laser Mission, and Legacy of Rage. That's really, that's not much of a library. No, but it was a start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it was a start for, for a guy that literally, like you said, had his career cut short and his life cut short. Yeah, it's sad because he was just he was just uh, about to explode because the crow with this film he definitely showed he was more than just a guy who could throw a bunch of kicks. He had a he had he could he could do dramatic scenes. I mean he he was trying to prove to everyone, hey, I can be an actor too. I don't I want to be more than just you know the son of you know Bruce Lee. And it's sad because he was gonna make his mark. And who's who's a big who's a big action stars at the time? He was definitely gonna surpass John Claude Van Damme. He was definitely going to surpass Steven Seagal. Had, um, had he, yeah, had he lived past the crow, I, I was reading up movie roles he was going to have. He was supposed to be Neo in The Matrix. The Wachowskis love Brandon Lee. They're like, oh hell yeah, we want to work with this guy. You know, you know, with, with The Matrix, he was supposed to be in Mortal Kombat. Oh my God, that would have been awesome. Um, I'm assuming he would have been Liu Kang taking over Robin Shu's role. Um, Either Liu Kang or they mentioned Johnny Cage. 
Johnny Cage would have been weird, but I still think he could have pulled it off. I Where? think he, I think Johnny Cage would have been better just to see how versatile of an actor he is. Because Liu Kang, he would just have to be straight laced Liu Kang, whereas Johnny Cage, obviously, you have to be a very charismatic guy. Which I think Lyndon Ashby did a fine role in that. Yeah, he uh, did. But but what you just said reminds me um, when you said, "Oh, he was supposed to be Neo in the Matrix." It's like um, Shrek. The original Shrek was supposed to be Chris Farley. They had yeah. the movie like ninety percent done, and then they brought Mike Myers on, and they basically redid the whole dialogue because Mike Myers decided to add the Scottish accent to the Shrek character. And to be fair, I think Mike Myers was better for the role because Chris Farley was just being Chris Farley in his position, whereas uh, Mike Myers portrayed a whole new uh, character entirely. Yeah, and uh, with Mike Myers, he didn't even know that he was replacing Chris Farley till after he finished. Yeah. And it just goes to show that there's some interesting tidbits in um, in the movie world that you would never know unless you did some research. Like uh, like what we're about to talk about, one of the uh, missing characters from The Crow, I actually didn't know about until you brought it up. Yeah, um, prior to his death, I mean, they filmed most of the movie. I'd say at least about 75% of it. I mean, the only scenes they had to... I mean, they, there were some scenes you could tell when we watched the final movie that uh, they had a... Uh, uh, a stand-in like his stunt. I think believe his stunt double was filling in for the for the roles that he couldn't finish. One of the characters who was very, I mean, I, he was in the comic book that uh, they had to cut out unfortunately because he was never able to film the scenes with Brandon Lee was the uh, the Skull Cowboy. Yeah, from what I read, it was roles that like he did some, but there were more roles that or more uh, scenes that they had to do. That they couldn't get out, obviously, because of Brandon Lee's death. And the role would have been fulfilled by Michael Berryman, who starred in The Hills Have Eyes. Um, starred in the Keenan and Kel movie as one of the bad guys. Uh, he, I think he was also in, correct me if I'm wrong, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest? Uh, I, I don't think so. I could be wrong. Yeah, because he's a very distinguishable uh guy like he has a very distinguishable face obviously due to uh condition i think it's called hypo it's hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia forgive me if i'm pronouncing that completely incorrectly which prevents him from having sweat glands hair and fingernails so and it's allowed and it says it's allowed him to have a lot of work elsewhere and again he was supposed to be in this movie uh as the skull cowboy who I guess is supposed to be an alternative version of The Crow. Um, because the Crow book that I read, I'm not sure if the Skull Cowboy was in there. I have to read the book again. It's been a long time. But the Skull Cowboy was basically almost like a almost like a guidance figure for uh, Eric Draven, who's a character that Brandon Lee plays in the movie. Uh, yeah, because... And, oh, uh, looking at the Wikipedia, he was in One and Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I was correct. Plus. Okay, you were right. Yes. So the role he had in One and Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was Ellis. And in fact, that was the second film he ever starred in behind Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze. Um, but Hills Have Eyes, I guess, would be the film that, I guess, put him into the horror map. But suffice it to say, yeah, he did. There's actual uh, f photos and pictures of Michael Berryman in the Skull Cowboy getup, or at least getting ready for the Skull Cowboy getup, which is pretty cool when you look at it. And it makes you wonder, like, what 
exactly the tone of the film would have been had he uh, still been in it. Yeah, there is, there is on YouTube. You there is footage of him uh, as the Skull Cowboy. I think in the in the scene where uh, uh, Brandon Lee is coming out of the grave, and then like in the far distance, you could see um, the Skull Cowboy. Then the crow like coming in right behind him, flying like right over him just to meet up with uh, uh, Eric Draven. It's it's a shame because it's character that you know that we were robbed again. You know, to uh, you know, unfortunately Brandon Lee's death. Because uh, it, it definitely would have been. I don't think it would have changed the entire aspect of the film, but it's definitely an added element that would have helped the movie. And it's also one of those things like a what ifs, like because the other three crows that were preceded, I don't think the scout cowboy appeared in those either. No. So. And if he would have been in this one, would he have appeared in the later ones? It makes you wonder and, if the stories of the sequels would have changed up. And if he would have appeared in the later ones, would they have gotten Michael Berryman to play all four? Mm-hmm. That's the other question, because I think every single Crow, I don't think any actor has reprised a role at all. No, it was a, each sequel is a different story. Different story, new characters, basically the same idea with the Crow resurrecting someone who was basically killed over something wrong yeah first one being a fiance the second one being a son the third one was a framed murderer and the fourth one i think was just like a religious sacrifice for her girlfriend so but we get to this film uh it has a very solid cast as i mentioned brandon lee as eric draven you got uh, the great ernie hudson who played the sergeant um, and going to the gang. You got Michael Winscott, who plays the top uh, bad guy, the gang leader, top dollar. You got David Patrick Kelly. Most people know him from the Warriors. Warriors! I'm out to play. He plays T-Bird. You have uh, Michael Massey. Uh, unfortunately, he was the, as fun boy, unfortunately, he was the actor that pulled the trigger that uh, killed uh, uh, Brandon Lee. Uh, and we got Tony Todd, the Candyman in this movie. And then we have an underrated actor, John Polito, playing as Gideon. He's the pawn shop owner. Oh, this dude was a goofball throughout the whole thing. <laughs> he was great. Yeah, uh, you have a very solid cast here. Um, yeah, my girl and I were talking about um, one of the characters, Tintin, who was played by uh, Lawrence Mason. He was also in a couple of other films. He was in um, Two Romance, played Floyd D. I remember watching Two Romans. That's one of my, um, I guess you could say underrated flicks. It's it's a Quentin Tarantino film, but I don't think he directed. I think he wrote it. Yeah, he wrote it. So at the time, it. yeah, at the time, Tarantino was just popping out all these different scriptures. He was just trying to get a career started. Right. So, but yeah, you could see him in there too. But I guess uh, Tintin would have been his biggest role. But yeah, you got a solid cast, but like. I don't. I haven't seen most of these actors in other films, really. Like, like, uh, well, other than Tony Todd, who's the the Candyman, um, and he also played uh, what was that role in um, Final Destination, where he played like the the warped doctor. Yeah, like a doctor, like an Undertaker, or whatever, whatever he was supposed to be. So he he pretty much has the uh, the Michael Berryman role. Like they're just like perfect for horror film roles. Yeah. Tony Todd, Tony Todd, Candyman being his most famous. The one that basically typecasts him as being the horror guy. 
Well, it's kind of like Robert England and Freddy Krueger. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it's a tight cast. I didn't have any problem with any of the cast. In fact, oh, casting was great. The the one thing that was the one actor that was really underrated was the guy who played Skank. I thought he was funny as hell. Uh, his name's Angel David. Yeah, unfortunately, he does not have a Wikipedia page. No, he does not. I mean, you probably might you might have to go on the uh, Internet Movie Database to find something. Although, I'm pretty sure he's done other stuff, but nothing, of course, of note, unfortunately. I will admit this. When I first saw this film, um, the character who played Mika, Bei Ling, I'm not even going to lie, I thought that was the girl who played the Yellow Ranger in the Power Rangers at first. <laughs> And, I can see the comparison. And uh, to my surprise, she was not. Uh, although, she does have a major role in uh, the Crank High Voltage. Oh. And I'm, I have not, I've only seen the first one, but I'm going to assume she played the bad girl because she does have a very uh, menacing female villain type of vibe to her. Mm-hmm. So, and and the crazy thing is, is that a lot, like, you watch this film, it is so fucking 90s. It is. Like, Michael Madsey, for example, fun boy. That dude, oh my god, he looks like, um, what's that lead singer, uh, from Blind Melon, uh, Shannon Hoon. He literally looks like Shannon Hoon and Kurt Cobain had a love child together. Mm-hmm. That dude like looked like a, a lead singer of a grunge band. If if that's how nineties this was. And of course, you listen to the soundtrack, you've got Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine playing in the background. This is like the the if you're looking for a movie that would define the nineties, like this was an hour and forty five minute version of What is Love from Hadeaway. It's it's the ultimate. You want to know what the grunge era was like? Nineties grunge. It's this movie. Hell yeah! Either that or Wayne's World. Like Wayne's World. Yeah. Movies, yep. Those two movies define the nineties, if if you will. But people tend to forget sometimes that this is a comic book movie. You can argue that it's even a superhero movie. Um, I, I mean, you can make that argument, but it is a comic book film. It's a comic book film for sure. That's that's not even like debatable. Superhero movie, I put it in the same vein as um, Deadpool, where they are, like, they aren't the prototypical good guys. Like, okay, Eric Draven's more of a good guy than um, Deadpool is, because Deadpool's in it for the money. But, you know he's the quote-unquote guy you're supposed to root for. Eric Draven, you're supposed to root for him, but... He breaks the ethical code that Batman lives by, where you're not. Gonna, I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm going to fight injustice. I'm going to beat bad guys up, but my code is I'll never kill. Eric Draven sets out to kill, and he's going to kill only the people that were involved in his and his fiance's death. Mm-hmm. He want he wants the, the people responsible. He doesn't care how what he's got to do. He's coming after you. Which again, you read the book, the crow. The bird talks and gives him that leeway. And the crow is like, not forceful when you actually read it from my memory. The crow is just like, this is your choice. You want to do this, go right ahead. I'll lead you the way type of character. 
from what I read about the Skull Cowboy, he's more like the father from that 70s show who calls everybody dumbass. Red. Um, he's just more like that. Like, come on, chicken shit, do it. Type of, like, tough love. I gotta be completely wrong. I still gotta read more of the Crow books. I've read more of the, um, the Eric Draven story. Because obviously there's more than one Crow, but Eric Draven being the most famous. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this film, I would say, is, uh, I would say the, what do, they, what do they call it? Where it's like, it's a superhero, but not exactly a superhero. Anti-hero. Uh, yeah, you could go that route. Um, the like, crazy like, thing- like a Frank Castle, almost, almost not, I mean, not necessarily loves a Punisher because he's dead. But mm-hmm. in that, almost in that same vein. Here's my question. This film, unfortunately... No, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but kind of unfortunately. Came out the same year as three cultural classics came out. Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump. Yep. So, The Crow had no chance of winning an Oscar. No. If those three movies didn't come out, do you think this movie would have gotten any sort of awards close to that? I mean, without a doubt, it's got to get at least a nomination for Best Cinematography. I mean, for a gothic dark film, it is it is beautifully dark. Mm-hmm. It's not just oh. dark. It's, it's not just dark for the sake of being dark. I mean, yeah, it got it. It got the inspiration from Tim Burton's Batman, of course. But this went this went dark to a level. I don't, I don't even think Tim Burton would even go this dark. Just from the city to the way people were dressed to the lighting, everything was just so dark and grungy, and it was raining and it was dirty and it was gritty and. At the same time, it's so beautiful of how of how well it's how well they did this. I mean, without, without, a, without a doubt, cinematography. Cinematography, yes. I mean, uh, we haven't even gotten into the the crux of the story and how it impacts people, but like just the the look itself, yes. It, it's you barely see daylight. There's li- like little sprinkles of it, but it's mostly like set at nighttime and. Um, it's it really gives you that real dark feeling like it's like you're taking it to another world it is it's that, literally in the universe yeah, and that's where like the comic book aspect comes in is of how of how it's of how it's it's dark and you feel like you're in another world and and that's so what that's where i want to be when i'm watching a movie i want to suspend my disbelief i want to get out of the real world and i, I want to be in the world that this mo- the movie wants to take me in it's, and the movie it's, succeeds so- it's sort of like a Disney ride or a Universal ride. Like their their rides are not just roller coasters; they're rides that suspend your disbelief. Like you're in this universe that they've created for you. Go into a Harry Potter section in Universal, and you'll think that you're literally in Hogwarts. Exactly. So, yeah, I think cinematography it did well, but it didn't win any awards for the only awards that it won was an MTV award for best song. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Big Empty. That's um, like winning a war for best kisser. Come on. Yeah. But it, it, it had a great soundtrack. I mean, definitely the soundtrack set the tone. The, the whole sound that helped the soundtrack, the score definitely set the tone for the movie. It fit the world perfectly. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing that people don't realize is that I think music is very, very important to uh, any sort of platform like whether you're telling a story via video game or a movie or hell, uh, we, we talk about wrestling a lot. Um, Kurt Hawkins even mentioned it. I think a theme song for a wrestler is just as important. Like, 
I, I, I don't know how much you talk about wrestling on the podcast, but like take an Ultimate Warrior, for example. Do you think, don't you think that his music helped him or Steve Austin's theme or Kane's or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Um, like one scene in particular where um, Dead Souls is playing from Nine Inch Nails, which is a cover of Joy Division's uh, Dead Souls. The part where he's running up, this is literally when he just first dons the face paint. He's running up on the buildings with the crow about to chase Tintin. Like, something like that just really sets the tone for what you're about to watch. Like, And it, and it holds no grounds either. Hold, or yeah. Hold, hold, holds yeah, no bounds. And that's, and that's where the background of Alex Porras comes in because he has that. He's done a lot of music videos. And and you can definitely see, you know, that's this is where the music video aspect of him comes in. And it was perfect. That scene was good. The scene where he's putting on the makeup when he, he first goes into his apartment and it plays that song The Cure. And he's putting the face paint on. It's it's just great. And obviously when they did that scene, that was uh, uh Brandon Lee's double. That wasn't and I think they used CGI. CGI was just coming into the was coming into Hollywood at this time. They, they CGI some of Brandon Lee's face onto the stunt double, but again, it's done so well. You really gotta like stop and look to see like what what, what where was Brandon where we wasn't, and it, and I think that the special effects how they done it still lives up to today. Uh, some of it, yeah. I mean, some of it, yeah, at least, yeah. The, some of the scenes like could be more polished in today's world, like when um he cuts his hands and obviously it shows his hands automatically healing, or when he gets shot in the hand and then oh yeah, that's it. yeah, we're fun boy, yeah. Yeah, the, obviously those could be updated. I mean, but to be fair, this movie was what nineteen ninety four. That was a year before the first Mortal Kombat movie came out. Where uh, at the time, some of those scenes were really kick ass, and probably if you look back on it, they're a little bit cheesy. I mean, I'm, the first Mortal Kombat, the second Mortal Kombat, even then the uh, CGI was pretty awful. But but yeah, we mentioned that the the movie tackles a lot of a lot of dark issues. Um, it me- you know talks of dealing with the uh, the death of a loved one with the little girl, because she was very close with uh, Eric Draven and his fiance to the point she almost looked at them as like a almost like second parents, because her real her mother was working at a bar, and she's doing drugs upstairs. She's shooting heroin in her arm. Yeah, and not giving an ounce of a fuck what's going on with her daughter. She could be running out there doing drugs herself. Um, and it, 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 you know what? It makes me wonder. Imagine you get killed and a crow brings you back to life. Like, you would be fucking weirded out. And I think Brandon and Lee does a perfect job of being weirded out, but it also brings up the question because the film itself it shows the crow directing Eric Draven to where he needs to go, which would be eventually where he once lived one year ago. But what how much less impact it would have been with his confusion if the Skull Cowboy was in this position. It's obviously Skull Cowboy is going to have more dialogue than, let's say, the, the the Crow. Unless they said that the Skull Cowboy would have been like the Crow, where he just doesn't really communicate. He just lures. Because that was one change. Again, the Crow does not talk in this movie, which, again, was a blessing for it. The film is rated R, but... I guess by today's standards, most of this will be considered PG-13 because there's not a, vi- a lot of violent kills. I mean, there's swearing, and then, I mean, there's the there's the end scene, I guess, where um with a uh, uh, top dollar when in, when he gets penetrated through that that statue, where he falls mm-hmm. off the roof and he goes to the statue and he got the blood pouring out of the statue's mouth. I think that's probably the most graphic violent scene in the movie. Uh, well, there is at least I'll tell my head. There, there is depictions of rape. 
so that oh, probably yeah, that's probably i mean it's not like the remake of last house on the left where they literally show you a girl being raped i mean they show you like clips but they don't show you a full-blown rape scene so it's kind of like I don't know if it would still be rated R today. It probably still would be rated PG-13, but it's hard to say because the, the rating system has kind of, like, evolved over time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, for example, the movie Big has the word fuck in it, and it's rated PG. Because I think at one point there was no PG-13 rating. It was just, I think it was just G, PG, and R. And X. And yeah, and then obviously rated X, but those types of movies, I don't, that would be in selected theaters. They weren't going to get the same outreach as, like, let's say, a rated R film. Like, I know the behind the scenes story, from what I understand, with Kill Bill, the scene where it goes into one of the, uh, the people's past, it's all animated. And the reason it was all animated was because if it would have had real life action uh, parts, Kill Bill was going to be rated NC-17. And he needed to animate it so that the movie could be rated R. Not just that scene. Also, when uh, she fights the Crazy 88 in that uh, restaurant, they had to go black. Oh, yeah, black and white. Yeah. yeah. Just so that they didn't hit the NC-17 rating. Because once you hit that rating, it's just like, you don't got the same... Let me try that again. You don't have the same outreach. Yeah. I know Quentin has released uh, that scene in color in like, in like uh, special edition DVDs. They do like those director's cuts and all that. Because yeah. you wanted that scene to be in color. Like that, that's the only reason it went black and white, just, just to avoid the NC-17. It wasn't anything like like anything artistic. <laughs> I know some people try to go, well, that was just a great artistic decision by Quentin. I was like, no, he did it because he didn't want the NC-17. Well, I know Mike Judge kind of like pointed out the weird hypocrisy when it comes to people and ratings and all that. When he... Uh, was discussing Beavis and Butthead, and they asked him, like, has the network ever asked you not to do something ridiculous? And he pointed out the weirdest things, and he pointed out one episode that he did, which was, um, he was alluding to the fact that, like, this this burglar would break in, and the, the episode would end where the burglar would tell these, these kids, Beavis and Butthead, to pull their pants down, and it would allude to the fact that he was either going to molest them or kill them or whatever. That was okay, but they did not want him to do any close-ups of Beavis or Butthead stepping on a bug for whatever reason. <laughs> that, that, it's weird. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's weird how, like, they allow some things, but then they don't allow other things. Like, okay, another example. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part five where the guy gets entrapped on the bike uh, the scene if you actually see the uncut scene is actually longer and really the only added part is when the guy's skin gets ripped off and he turns into what looks like to be a ghost rider mm -hmm. you can't show the part where his skin gets ripped off but you can show the aftermath of what he looks like which is pretty disturbing in and of itself i don't know hollywood the whole rating system to this day it's still weird so I feel like the, the they do favor like certain directors. I mean, for example, uh, I give another example. Uh, the movie Ready Player One. Everybody knows the Shining's rated R. Mm -hmm. For for Pete, there's a scene in in Ready Player One. They go into the Shining. 
And then they show the scene where the elevator opens up and all that blood comes pouring out. Right. Ready Player One's rated PG-13. How the hell did they get, get away with all that blood in a PG-13 movie? And my, I always said, well, it's because uh, the director behind it, Steven Spielberg. I mean, it, it, I feel like there, obviously, I feel there are politics in the business. And depending who you are, you may get away with certain things, where, whereas other directors may not. Like, well, if, Sam Ra- if Sam Raimi would have won it, that Rob Zombie, the studio would have said, hell no. But Spielberg, here you go. Well, it's like, um, I was just watching uh, some behind the scenes of the Batman animated series. And one of the things they said was the Joker could not kill on our show because it was a children's television program. But meanwhile, they had uh, they have a villain called the Ventriloquist who has Scarface as a puppet. But they said that the puppet has kind of moved on its own and walked on its own. So it gives you that like vibe of is it really a puppet or a person? And there are scenes of this puppet getting shot and getting eviscerated on band saws and all that meanwhile you're not supposed to know if it's a human or if it's a doll or what it's weird how the the business kind of is and what they will allow and what they won't allow I don't know I I could never explain it myself yeah there's there's never that fine line was never drawn because it seems everyone goes across it over time and what it is what isn't what can be allowed what's not it's and think about it, there have been PG thirteen movies that have the word fuck in it. That's that's a rule. You're allowed you're allowed one fuck. A big head fuck and then it was rated PG. Yeah, I know one of the X Men movies, um which one was it? Uh the first one, first class, they went to Wolverine, he said go fuck yourself. That was the only F word I was allowed. Because PG thirteen today, you're allowed one F word. <laughs> so you gotta make good use of it. Now, is it true? That in Marvel, no, not Marvel, um, Mortal Kombat versus DC, they had to cut out fatalities because they did not want their characters, their Batman or DC characters, to be murdered in fatalities. I n- have, I have not heard of that, but I, I could, see, I can see that happening. But I, yet, I just finished for like the billionth time playing Arkham City. And looking at all the people and how they freaking die in that game. Like, Hugo Strange gets a sword cut through his damn chest. And he's sitting there bleeding to death. Um, there's one... Uh, Raz al Ghul sticks a sword right through his uh, chest. And then goes through a damn bowl. And go, okay, maybe Raz al Ghul you get a pass. Because that's a character that always gets rejuvenated over time. He's like 600 years old. But... I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But, like... It's just weird how... how people are with their characters yeah the whole race is it's like they just pick and choose what they want what they don't want it's it's weird the crow itself in comic was always a dark comic if you read the comic it's black and white and (laughs) i know originally going in when they wanted to shoot this they wanted to shoot this in the style how uh robert rodriguez shot sin city uh yeah with some color and yeah yeah because the director wanted to shoot this black and white and, w- and the only color was going to be, like, the flashback scenes with, like, you know, uh, uh, Eric Draven's girlfriend, like, getting raped. Eh. That was, that was going to be the only colored scenes. I'm glad they didn't go that route. I think I'm glad, too. The, the route they went was better. Uh, there was another movie that was made in the 80s uh, that was black and white. Um, 
think it was called Elephant Man, where uh, it's about a guy who has a disfigurement, like he has a rare dis disability, um, where he physically looks hideous because obviously he has some sort of a, a issue with his face. But the thing is, um, yeah, it is called Elephant Man. The thing is, even though he looks disfigured, he's super intelligent. So mentally, there's nothing wrong with it. It's physically there's something wrong with him. He looks very deformed. But that movie was filmed in black and white, even though the film came out in 1980. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think some movies, it benefits from a Sin City, I think benefited from being black and white. Um, but The Crow, the, or what they, they accomplished with The Crow, I think having it in color, but with the gritty, grungy, dirty look, made it better yes it's just, it's just scenario the movie i think came out the right place at the right time especially the right time period with the whole grungy style oh yeah um, and at this point comic book films i mean were hit and miss i mean you had i mean you had your superman you had your batman and outside of those two the other ones especially in the 90s comic book films were were really on the downward spiral I mean, they weren't at Donald Sprite yet by, like, 94, because you just had Batman Returns. Uh, and then, of course, you had The Crow, which um, I'm so happy this film has a big, strong cult following. But it's definitely a, a film I think more people should watch and see, especially if you're into superhero films or into comic book films. Or if you, especially if you like dark movies. Like, The Crow is, without a doubt, my opinion, I, I think it's a masterpiece. And it's very unfortunate that uh, you know, we lost we lost Brandon Lee to this because I mean, you know, outside of his death, I, I still think this is a great film. Uh, what do you think? I think it's it's been my favorite film for quite some time because it's it's hit home a lot of the emotional aspects of what I take away from a, a hero. Um, I know a lot of people love Superman, and I don't begrudge him for that. But I don't need my superhero to be squeaky clean, per se. I want to relate to them. And when I saw this film at the time, I was single. But now that I am in a relationship, and it makes me wonder, hmm, if four guys killed my girlfriend, fiance, whatever. Not just yeah, killed her. They raped her, then killed her. Raped her, and then killed her. Yeah, I think I would want to extract that same type of revenge, even though it may not be the proper way to go. But, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about the other Crow films here or at another time, but, like, the yeah, same vein as those. Here. There's not much to so, talk about with, with yeah, the ones uh, Right. Uh, well, the second Crow, the guy's extracting revenge for the death of his son. Um, the other two were girlfriends as well, but again, the third film was based on the dude being framed for murdering his girlfriend when it was actually a corrupt police officer. And then the fourth one, he was, him and his girlfriend were a sacrifice for some sort of religious uh, cult. Yeah, some, yeah, some, some satanic cult. Yeah, so, and all four of those had different actors, obviously. What was it? Uh, the second one, City of Angels, was Vincent Perez. The third one was Eric Mobius. And the fourth one was uh, Edward Furlong. So you can kind of see the quality and actor going a little bit downhill as the films go on. Yeah, because the second one was still a theatrical release. Uh, the third the third, and the fourth one were straight to DVD. 
or straight to VHS, whatever it was at the time. Uh, yeah. And not just the um, quality of the actors, just the quality of the film went down, too. Yeah, um, I, when I watched the second film, I don't get that same feeling. Like, they went for that same real dirty look to it, but they went overboard with it. I know like, when I mentioned, I know I mentioned, you mentioned the, the, the tint effect that they used. To... Yeah, it looks like somebody barfed on the, the camera lens. <laughs> it's real nasty looking, and it has Iggy Pop in it. Like, do I need to say any more? You have Iggy Pop in a Crow film. That's funny. Originally, they said he was approached to be in the first movie. I'm not saying he was bad. I'm just saying it was just a crazy idea to get Iggy Pop. Actually, Iggy Pop was pretty cool. In, he was in the good. Movie. It's just that I, I never would have thought to myself, if I'm directing a Crow movie, would I hire Iggy Pop? I never would have, it never would have crossed my mind. And just getting Iggy Pop to play this role, it was just like, it was something I didn't know I wanted, but now I do want. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I was not a fan of the second film. Um, it was written by David S. Goyer. At least he was one of the co-writers. He went on to co-write The Dark Knight. But I don't want to give him too much credit for The Dark Knight because I mostly came from the minds of Nolan, Christopher, and his brother Jonathan Nolan. Yeah, and The Dark Knight is... I mean, that's a masterpiece right there. Those, those three movies, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, I'm biased for. I, it has two of my favorite villains of all time in those movies so and then we got the the crow three uh i think it's called crow uh, salvation salvation yeah as you mentioned yeah. uh kristen dunn is in this i believe she did this right before she did spider-man either right before or right around the same time i can't remember exactly uh the time frame but i saw this i didn't hate this movie i thought it was all right i wasn't um it was nowhere near the first movie First movie that movie captured like a magic or uh, an essence that I'll never forget. But I think this movie did a better job at me rooting for the good guy than the second one did. Well, the second one, I mean, part of it's because I don't have a son, I don't have a child, so I don't know that feeling, and that's that's not really a good reason to discredit it but it's something like like okay i had this conversation with somebody they don't like batman as much as other superheroes because bruce wayne is a billionaire how do you relate to a billionaire because there's very few of those types of people out there billionaires so how do you relate to him so i, I sort of get it but and the fourth one it's garbage <laughs> I hated that. I never finished it, honestly. I, I finished it. I, did, I I can't say I hated it, because if I finished it, I didn't. If I could finish the movie, that's something. Um, I was like, I don't care anymore. Then again, the worst movie I've ever seen was Date Movie, and I finished it, but that's because I saw it in theaters at the time, and I had no choice, but um, I would say it was... Mm -hmm. It was nice. 
It was heavily miscasted. Edward Furlong looked like a <laughs> looked like a, a, a female with the with the makeup. It, it didn't work for me at all. That nothing nothing about that movie worked for me. I I strongly disliked the fourth one. And Wicked Prayer was called, and it was okay. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Yeah, the third one was okay. Uh, actually, it did the it if. Yeah, I, I rooted for the guy Ben more than the second one. The second one, the whole child thing, I think would have worked better for like a Frank Castle, like a Punisher. That's more of his territory. Like his his family got killed. To me, Crow was always about about the girl. You know, fiance, girlfriend, wife. That's 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 the Crow story. Uh yeah. And and as I mentioned, none of the sequels were able to capture the magic that the first one had. I mean, again. It had, you know, because Brandon Lee was so good in this role. I mean, it's so sad that uh, he wasn't, he didn't live around to see how this movie was received. He wasn't around to see the release because same with Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee uh, was, you know, was unfortunately gone by the time Enter the Dragon came out. Enter the Dragon came out like a month or two after his death. And same thing with Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger died January of 2008. And I think Dark Knight came out, what, June or July? So he never got to see how well received his movie was, especially since, and this this is the real, real fucking shame of that movie. Heath Ledger, and I'm one of those people, I'm not even going to lie. When we heard Heath Ledger was cast as a Joker, we were just like, exactly as advertised, that's a fucking joke. Like, Heath Ledger, yeah. really? I, I, said, I, said, I mean, that goof from freaking Knight's Tale, that's your Joker? The ten, 10 Things I Hate About You, that guy. Oh, and then oh, I go oh. and watch the damn film. I'm just like, this is the best Joker. But like, even to this day, uh, even after watching the new Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, which, by the way, was fantastic. Heath Ledger, to me, is the Joker. I, I dressed as Heath Ledger's Joker on four separate Halloweens since then. So it obviously had an impact on me. It's had an in impact on me as far as, like, what I do on the side projects when it comes to characters I've created. I mean, I've inspired a lot of characters based off his Joker. So, other than Mark Hamill, he's the Joker. Mm -hmm. But you could, I would, I meant, I made this argument to you, uh, not just argument, but a point. Like I, like I feel like Christopher Nolan has saw, has seen this movie, The Crow, and got inspirations for uh, for his films, at least in some aspect with the with his Batman movies, because of this movie. Even even down to the Joker design. You could argue that. I don't know where he would have gotten the, per the Joker persona, per se, from this film. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I could see the, the grittiness, especially with Batman Begins, because Batman Begins has that same grittiness that this movie does. Because um, look at Batman Begins compared to Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Um, that film, and that film, too, has one of my favorite characters, Ra's al Ghul, Liam Neeson. I mean, that guy was fantastic as well as Uncle. Um, but I could see the, the cinematography being in the same vein, like the way the buildings look, uh, the same tint, um, same everything, same rundown, nitty gritty type of stuff. Uh, and I believe we covered everything we wanted to talk about for The Crow. Um, uh, before we get to final thoughts, I'm, some people are probably saying, but this isn't a horror movie. The Crow's not a horror film. No. But it's dark like a horror movie. You could, I mean, had the Skull Cowboy been in the film, it definitely would have had his aspects like a horror movie. Have you seen what the Skull Cowboy was going to look like with all that makeup? 
Especially that one shot, that one test shot that they did with him at the uh, graveyard. <laughs> looked pretty freaking scary to me. <laughs> yeah, I I could just imagine what, again, we said this earlier, what the movie, what difference the movie would have been if the Skull Cowboy was in there. Because he, um, from what I've read, yeah, he was supposed to be the guide between uh, the land of the living and the land of the dead. I've also read that you know all the narration that uh, the character Sarah does throughout the film, all of that was supposed to be explained by the Skull Cowboy. So really, the Skull Cowboy was going to do all that talking rather than Sarah. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. But even then, the other thing I can't seem to fathom, maybe, again, I'm not the director. I can't answer all those questions. They still couldn't figure out a way to keep the Skull Cowboy in there because I figure with all the work they had to do to get that costume done, get Michael Berryman fitted into that costume, get his part of the film written. And if I'm correct, they did do some scenes with him. Why they would just like completely delete him entirely. I mean, I get it. I mean, the death of an actor, but there wasn't any other way around it. They couldn't figure out a way around it. Now, I know it would have been hard more so because there was more dialogue between uh, Eric Draven and the cowboy. Because the scene, if you remember when Sarah goes into the apartment, just uh, hopefully she would see uh, Eric Draven again. And then she talks about how like she misses them. She misses him and Eliza. And then he shows up at the window saying, like, you don't, she's like, oh, you don't care. And then he shows up at the window, I do care. That was post-production. That was his stunt double. That was not Brandon. Like, even though Even the way the guy talks, it doesn't sound like Brandon. It would have been a challenge to uh, try to, to find an actor or even a voice actor that sounds like Brandon Lee. Yeah, because I, I've watched this film several times, and I don't know exactly what film or what scenes was just the stunt double. So I guess that would be one of them. I, yeah, that was one of them. I know the scene where the uh, where T Bird got killed when he was like, uh, you know, why aren't you speaking? Why don't you not speak? Obviously, that was rewritten because, uh, you know. Brandon Lee wasn't alive to, unfortunately, film that scene. That was another scene that they had to film post his death. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure, like I said, it was done very well, the movie, to this point. It's hard to tell who was, what scenes he was there and what scenes he wasn't. But, yeah. you know, like you said, it's very unfortunate they couldn't film the Skull Cowboy. Obviously, the actor didn't hold any grudge. He still loved the movie. Um, he was just very sad that, you know, Brandon Lee died because he considered Brandon Lee his friend. That's uh, the thing. Michael Berryman, I've seen, like, photos of him, candid. He looks complete opposite to what the characters he portrays. Like, he looks like a swell guy who just, like, just loves having fun doing these movies. You know, it's it's funny that you say, I said this on the podcast. It's amazing how the most evil people on screen can be some of the nicest people you ever meet. And with the good yeah. and the people that play good on screen are some of the biggest assholes, assholes out there. This is definitely true. Definitely true. I mean, um, uh, there was a video that I was watching yesterday where this guy, I, I forget the YouTube channel, but he was interviewing all of the individuals that played Michael Myers in the Halloween films. And he went up to the guy that played uh, Michael Myers in Halloween Resurrection. And that dude was so nice. And he asked him, what's your favorite Michael Myers kill? And he didn't even, like, because all of them usually say, because he, he did it with Jason and I guess um, other uh, people who are mass killers, like Leatherface and all that. 
they usually say a kill within their movie. This guy picked a kill that wasn't even in his movie. It was the um, how Michael was able to live from H2O to Resurrection because his head cut off and they, he was able to switch a body. He didn't even pick a kill of his own. So get you, it gets you to think, like, maybe this is their outlet to get the asshole part out of, of them out. Now, I know they did use the Skull Cowboy in the Crow television series. I have, not, I have not seen the television series. Uh, the actor that played the Skull Cowboy in the television uh, was... Uh, uh, he was in that movie, um, The Sixth Man with the Marvel. He was in... Um, you see Vampire Brooklyn? Oh, a long time ago. He was, Eddie, he was like Eddie Murphy's assistant. Uh, okay. I can't remember. He was in that show Living Single. He was in that that sitcom. I can't remember his name. Uh, Kareem hadn't seen I think something like that. Something along those lines. But he was just... But I have not seen the television series of The Crow. I will probably watch it one day. Uh, I would like to watch it to see how how, uh, how they did it. It only lasted one season. I think it has like 20 episodes. But I wouldn't mind checking it out. I mean, I've seen the movies. I love I love this movie. I also, you know, finished the... Uh, uh, cinematic franchise, you could say, with the television series. They have there has been talks of a remake. Uh, yeah. I guess I guess it's currently in developmental hell because there's been talks uh, as of early as 2008. Yeah, it's it's been like they had Jason Momoa. I remember Crispin Glover was the uh, named one, and it keeps switching people left and right. At this point, I don't even know if it's going to be made, and if it does, will the cowboy make an appearance there? And will it be played by Michael Berryman? That is the question. Yeah, even if they can't get him, I would even recommend Tony Todd. Get Tony Todd or even uh, Michael uh, Winscott because they, him and Todd have that voice. Hmm. They definitely so, have the voice that'll fit the character. Um, I don't know how much time you have left, but there is one question I wanted to ask you. Uh, yes. Because uh, this, obviously, this was a movie that had a death with Brandon Lee. Which one do you think was more shocking? This one? Or I think it was the Twilight Zone movie where uh, I forgot the actor's name. When he was doing a scene where he's running away from the helicopter with the two uh, Vietnamese girls and the helicopter like accidentally fell and basically decapitated him. It, yeah, it but... wasn't like Victor Marr, I think? Yeah, it was Vic Marr. That's, uh, he's Jennifer Jason Lee's father. Yeah, so, um, but that one actually has footage that you can find uh, online. Like, I've seen the actual clip itself. As I, far as I know, um, there's no clip of the Brandon Lee. I, I've seen a uh, photo many years ago, and I don't know if it was real. Vic Morrow, yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know for sure if it was real. Uh, could have been photoshopped, don't know. But there's never been footage of his death after being released. It's kind of like the Owen Hart death. It's It was filmed, but it's never been released to the public. Not that I... I mean, it's... You don't want to see somebody die, but it's that morbid curiosity that you have within you. Like, how did it happen type of deal. I think with the Twilight Zone, to me, it was just a stupid stunt gone wrong. Because if you watch that footage, you can see the hell. The first of all, that helicopter was very low, way too low. Yeah. I think it was it was just a stupid decision out of from John Landis. And I know when that whole thing happened, Spielberg wanted him blackballed. I, 
it's it's unfortunate what happened, but at last I mentioned, it was a stupid stunt. I don't know if the guy deserved to get blackballed. I mean, he didn't, but. So would you say his uh, that was more responsible than Vince McMahon having Owen Hart getting raised by a cable that can only lift like 30 pounds? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was just irresponsible. And on top of that, the dude dies and then he continues on with the show. Yeah, that that's very irresponsible. So, now, I, I don't know. The incident where Brandon Lee, according from what I read, the prop guy, the prop guy they were using for the film that day was a local. They didn't they didn't use an actual experienced professional prop guy. So, and Michael Berryman said that that was just irresponsibility from the studio. Now he felt he felt that was Hollywood or whoever the studio company was that was just them cutting corners. It, it it's very unfortunate. It's I guess mentioned. It's very unfortunate to hear deaths in Hollywood, especially someone at the level of uh, Brandon Lee, who was just who is just on the rise. He was just starting to build his reputation. He his, he would have been an A list actor for sure. He would have been. This movie would have would have catapulted him to being a star, and I think with him being in the Matrix would have made him a global star because Matrix is a huge hit worldwide. Everybody copied the Matrix. But now, again, question is, I mean, because it's a major hit, but Keanu Reeves did the role justice. He did. I mean, but would have Brandon Lee been viewed in that same lane, that, that same vein that Keanu Reeves is? Or, like, again, say Brandon Lee took that role uh, as uh, Neo. Would he have taken the role of John Wick? I don't know. These are, that's, I mean, these are these are hindsight questions. And yeah, that's I'm, that's that's an interesting question. Would he would he have would he have the career now or still that Keanu Reeves is having now? Would Keanu would Keanu be considered relevant by this point in his career? Had uh, uh, Brandon Lee been around, would he have gotten all those roles possibly? Uh, had he still been alive, it's a it's an interesting question. Uh, would he be John Wick? I don't know. Hmm. I think he would have another franchise of his own. But the thing is, he was separating himself from his father, too, because, like, his father never had this type of rule. His father was pretty much the martial arts guy that kicks everybody's ass. That's all you have to do. He was the inspiration to Liu Kang. But Brandon Lee was setting out to be his own thing. He wasn't going to just be like his father. He was going to be like a very versatile actor. It's a good question. It's one of those, you know, where where would they be now? You could say the same thing about like Chris Farley. Like, what career would he have now? Would would he would Kevin James get these roles that he's basically like the fat guy falling down? Because Farley was like the first one to really. I mean, he wasn't the first, but he was famously in the '90s known for doing that. Well, same thing with like John Candy or something like that. He died. He was only like forty. He died. Who knows what roles he would have had now? Or um. Oh, what other like like Kurt Cobain? Like, where would he have been now with his music? Because he, he was uh, never mind the album, never mind and in Europe, two different albums. Like, what would he have done with the fourth album? Uh, would would uh, what's his face? Um, Dave Grohl would he had still done the Foo Fighters if Nirvana was still around? Because they basically broke up because Kurt Cobain's dead. Would uh, he be gone? Uh, Chris Novoselic would he have gone on to just doing what it is he's doing? Or would he had still been the basis for the band and, and been skyrocketing high? Who knows? Who knows? That's, that's, that's all we can say is who knows. Any last thoughts on The Crow before we wrap this uh, episode up? Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. 
probably my favorite movie of all time. Every time I watch it, I'm never bored. Um, it's very, it's a, it's a good pace. There's good kills. There's good dialogue. I mean, I guess my favorite scene is right before he kills one of the people that he has to kill. He takes the knife, looks him straight in the face, and goes, victims, aren't we all? Boom! That's all you need to know about the film. It's, it's, it's a film where you root for the good guy. The bad guys do their job of being bad guys, especially Top Dollar. Oh, yeah, I love this. Uh, what, what was it, T-Bird? That was the yeah. main guy? Top Dollar was the main guy. T-Bird was David Patrick Kelly. Okay, okay, so Top Dollar then. Top Dollar, he is... He's the quintessential bad guy. Like, he, he has that, that aura about him that he's just not a likable person. And the guy who played him did an excellent job. It's it's a movie where it there's a clear-cut good guy and a clear-cut bad guy. No shades of gray. Granted, the good guy is not doing good things, but you're rooting for him. That's the main important thing. You want him to succeed in his task. I just I love to see that when he's at the top of the church and he grabs a uh, top dollar by his head and he says, "I want you to feel my pain," and then he felt his pain and then he fell to his death. I just I love that scene. And it makes sense because he was able to grab those memories from Ernie Hudson's character because Ernie Hudson was there, so it kind of like gave you that hint that he could use this. So it, it made sense. That's what I like about it. It tied those loose ends. Great movie. Uh, it's probably the best comic book film that came out in the 90s. I can't think of a comic book movie. I mean, there are good ones, but to me, none of them stood out like The Crow. It's uh, The Crows is a is a grungy, dark tone, dark and gritty, and it's, it is a beautifully, visually well-done film. Yeah, unless you like um, Blade or Spawn, this is like the closest thing you're going to get to like real dark stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Monoxide, I'd like to thank you for coming on to uh, a uh, Patreon episode exclusive of the Chilla Killing podcast. This was a film that you wanted to do, The Crow, and we did it. Uh, thank you very much for having me, and I hope to do some more in the near future. Oh, without a doubt. We're going to see how this one turns out. Um, like As I mentioned, guys, we're going to do uh, more stuff for you Patreon fans. Uh, I haven't mentioned it already. Patreon.com slash ChillinKillinPodcast. Follow us on Twitter, ChillinKillinP1. Instagram, ChillinKillinPodcast. Find us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud. Rate, comment, subscribe. Uh, Monoxide, anything you want to plug? You got a Twitter, Instagram, anything you want to plug? Uh, I hate Twitter to death. Uh, you can, but I have one. It's uh, Monoxide YouTube. Uh, I got an Instagram. It's uh, Owen Hart guy. Owen Hart underscore Hart underscore guy. I cosplay Owen Hart. I cosplay Raz Al Ghul from Batman Begins. You can see me there. And yeah, that's pretty much all my handles. That's his handles. Um, we definitely yeah we got all right. You know, for those that are listening, yes, we we will talk horror movies. The Crow's not necessarily a horror film, but this was a movie we really wanted to discuss because we both have a love for this movie. Uh, next time you come back on Almanoxide, um, I think we should talk about Evil Dead. Oh yeah, that now you talk about horror. That is definitely one of my favorites right there. So uh, for those uh, Patreon fans, uh, stick stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll definitely be back for sure. We'll be back on with our regular uh, Chill and Come podcast talking about uh, uh, Jennifer's Body, star Megan Fox. That'll be our next episode. But uh, until then, I'm thank you for listening. This is Charles the Terminator along with my special good friend Monoxide. 
Uh, peace out, y'all. <laughs>